Bonjour, comment allez-vous? Très bien, toi? Oui, ça va? Oui, ça va. <laughs> This is not a French podcast, but we are podcasting from Paris. <laughs> And the moment you hear me speak French, you're like, oh, it's absolutely not a French podcast. She has no idea what she's doing. <laughs> Welcome. Kristen, so good to be here with you. Natalie, it's so fun to see your face. Oh, I feel like it's all I do get do, and I'm so happy about it. And there was a really great moment earlier today when you turned to me and you said, do you know how much I love you? <laughs> True story. I think it's really important to tell people that you love, that you love them. Yes, Don't it is. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. And tell life that you love it. Oh, please. And tell yourself how you love mm. who you are. So Kristen and I were walking the streets of Paris today. We just decided to go for a long walk. And we stopped because Kristen needed to tie her shoe. And there was a mirror hanging on this brick building out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. And I can't remember exactly what it said in French. I think it was, Mais oui, tu es belle. Mm. Which is... Why, yes, you are beautiful. <laughs> so when you look in the mirror, you're just reminded, why, yes, I am beautiful. <laughs> Now that's a message to write above your mirror. I mean, France knows how to live. Well, we've had such a fun, uh, we've been here how many days? We got here on the third. We've been here almost two weeks. It's now, now the 15th, right? Mm -hmm. We're approaching quickly our two-week mark. Oh, time is flying. So we're here to recap our lessons from Paris. That's right. So if you're new to the Create Podcast, welcome. And we're so excited to have you here. And what we love to do on this podcast is take the conversations that we're having as two best friends who are curious and spiritual seekers and excited about life and what life is here to show us and teach us at every moment. And we started having these conversations together years ago. And then a few years ago, we decided, why don't we just put a microphone and record these conversations? I think someone else said to us, yes. hey, will you guys please put a microphone in front of you and record your conversations? Yes. And I actually remember me saying, I don't want to do that. And I was like, absolutely. I've been thinking about this forever. I want to so bad. But these are really the conversations we have all day long. So That's as right. Natalie and I are going around Paris and we are sightseeing and we're talking about our lives, we're talking about our leading edge of growth, so many topics come up and we always go, oh, That's a podcast. That's, That's a, podcast. a podcast. That's a podcast. And so we were just going to recap some of the things that have happened for us in the last week. And we've seen a lot of great art. And we've had a, all, some of our own great conversations and just share them with you and see if you're vibing on the same plane, which we know you are, <laughs> because it's always one conversation going on in life. Yeah. So what's happened the first week that we were in Paris together, we really took time to rest, to relax. We're both workaholics who spend our life in New York City hustling and moving and working. And we both had set aside this very special time to spend a month together in Paris. And our true intention, we both have projects and desires and things that we wanted to do here. But our, our real true desire was to, as we've talked about on this podcast before, follow the curiosity, follow the charm, follow the non-scheduled, non-rigid way of being where you're able to just let life reveal to you where the next fun place to go is. So what's been really fun for us is noticing where even in our own vacation mentality, 
we have a tendency to try to create structure and rules and rigidity. And I think one of the leading edges of growth that I wanted to speak about going into this podcast was there's a way where we all put blinders on, even when we're on vacation, even when we feel like we're in our bliss and following our joy. We often talk to people about giving yourself permission to follow that bliss, to follow that charm, as Joseph Campbell says, follow your bliss. But what's happened, and we've noticed this, and we were chatting about this, is the certain blinders we still have on, even though we're in Paris and we're having the chocolate bread and the croissant and the coffee and wandering around and doing all the things, there's still the tendency to apply a rigid structure around even your vacation. So. The prime example of this is Kristen and I, we have a salad that we love in Paris. It's, it's, I think it's called the salad Parisienne. But <laughs> we call it the salad of dreams. We call it the salad of dreams. There's a few different versions of how the salad shows up, but it's always beautiful greens, tomatoes, sometimes a little crunchy potato, and always there's like a ham and a cheese, maybe a little goat cheese and a little crusty bread. Maybe an egg if you're... If you're really feeling it. Mm -hmm. And so we're always going to restaurant to restaurant, finding this perfect salad so we can share this salad. And that's what our routine is most days. And when we're not with each other, we're talking about, (laughs) did you find the salad of dreams? Where did you have your salad today? Like, it's kind of like our touch point with each other. And, uh, but so yesterday we see each other and we're on our mission to find our salad of dreams. Now, this is an interesting thing to point out. Natalie and I have both been obsessed with napping since we got here. Mm -hmm. And I keep saying to Natalie, well, we have to allow ourselves, like we have to remember we're coming from New York. We're coming from so much work we had on our plate. If we want to nap, we're going to nap. Have a nap. So every afternoon we have been (laughs) napping. And sometimes we have an espresso and then we have a nap. Yeah. And uh, we saw each other yesterday and we were just like kind of laughing at how tired we were. Right. Like, we were saying that energetically we were feeling depleted even though we don't have a lot of work on our plate. We're not doing a lot, Mm -mm. you know. We're both uh, writing and doing various things, but it's not really a heavy schedule comparatively. And yet... And yet, can I also just say that our not heavy schedule, you're like coaching clients, teaching classes, I'm writing every day, like producing pages, like you and I are like, we're totally on vacation, and yet our on vacation yeah. is still very productive, and, productive. And, yeah. and rigid, and you and I are both getting up and working out every morning, and yes. the... the I just have to like kind of like out us yes. as what we think is on vacation is actually this <laughs> very rigid schedule yes. that has a lot of output. Exactly. And and the, actually our vacation is actually just a balanced life of output <laughs> and rest. Right? Yeah. What we call vacation is actually like a harmonious life where we spend some of our time working and As, some of our time in pleasure and bliss. Yeah. And for us, this is so foreign that it feels like, you know, we've taken this big leap in the dark somehow. Which, and the reason that we love to talk about pleasure and bliss all the time is because we're desperately trying to learn that and incorporate it in our lives because we have 
been conditioned in this very Western society that equates your worth with your output. And so it's something we're constantly trying to undo in ourselves and teach each other in our own friendship that like, hey, we can take time off. Oh my goodness, let's take six weeks off, right? (gasps) Oh my gosh, daring. Scary. Scary. What would a day look like if we just did what we wanted to do? And in that, I think we are trying to understand the nature of love. And I think we're trying to understand or or studying what does life look like when live from the center of my heart. That's exactly right. So as Kristen and I were on our daily adventure for the salad of our dreams, again, (laughs) kind of the blinders of, yes, we're in Paris and we're having the bread and we're having the cheese and we're having the joy, but there's still this conditioning of, uh, we should have a salad. And Kristen and I were walking towards this cute street where we, you know, thought maybe there would be a nice restaurant for us. And all of a sudden, Kristen and I both turned and we saw these two young ladies sharing an order of french fries and instantaneously we turned and looked at each other and Kristen said french fries (laughs) and the next thing you know Kristen and I are sitting at this adorable restaurant we ordered a glass of red wine and we asked the waitress can we just have french fries and she said of course you can and she was so delighted she was really delighted yes french fries and Friends, the moment the french fries arrived on the table and I took a french fry and I put it in my mouth, (laughs) I felt like I had never experienced heaven quite like this moment. I also would like to add that we sit down, we order our french fries, and then like six gorgeous (laughs) Frenchmen sit right at the table in front of us as if the universe was like, hold on, let me show you what I can do. Yes. Here you go. You are in the right place. (laughs) The scene is set. But it was an interesting thing to notice that even in my own conditioning of what my own process of, you know, whether you say it's the process of right or wrong or the good thing to do or whatever, it's not really like Mm. in the mechanism to think, oh, what do I really want? And there was a certain ability for Kristen and I to be surrendered enough to say oh that might be fun that might be a fun adventure and something happened where as we were sharing these little french fries and having a glass of red wine all of a sudden we both started filling with energy yeah it was like we both started not feeling tired anymore and all of a sudden we were having great conversation and the waitress would come to the table and ask us where we're from and what we're doing and why we're here we had the most fun and she was delighted by us suddenly delighted by her i'm showing her pictures on my phone we're talking about (laughs) where like all the deep personal things of life with her and we realized there's something inside of spontaneity right Mm -hmm that we become so conditioned to do the thing we expect of ourselves, the things we expect of life, that we don't do a deeper listening. So it really becomes a conversation about what is the deeper listening? And of course, the deeper listening is not always for French fries. Sometimes the deeper listening is for a nap. Sometimes the deeper listening is to create something that has been burning inside of you. Or to go and spend time in nature. Yes. Or to meditate. Or to go and have time with your loved ones. Yeah. The the listening 
is just always that. The spontaneity of the listening changes. And so often something has worked for us in one Mm -hmm. capacity or in one way. So there've been so many times in my life where I had a beautiful salad and my body felt amazing and it felt nourishing and it felt like this was exactly the right thing in this moment. So then what begins to occur in the program and the computer of my mind is, well, that thing worked before, so do that thing again, instead of listening to the new moment, which may actually tell me the same thing, but it may tell me something different. And can I be willing to not control and not be rigid and not push my agenda on life, but say to life, you know how to delight me. You made me. You brought me here. What do you got from me right now? And it may be different than I expect or even than what I think I might want. And can I surrender to my own curiosity enough outside of right, wrong, or indifferent and say, I'm, I'm open to whatever wants to be revealed now. Well, and that's where it becomes this bridge, right? If everything is a metaphor... I've been thinking so much. I had this run. I've been loving, I mean, even though we talk about the routine of it all, I, I have been loving getting up every morning and running around the sun, right? Mm-hmm. The sun is so beautiful. I love just getting up and I put a podcast in and I run and I get a lot of downloads as I'm running. And one thing that came uh, through the other day was part of my process here has been really setting aside a time to write something that's just on my heart. It's something that's for me that I love. And the exciting thing is, is to realize every time I sit down to write, it's like turning the faucet, I can open up the channel and the writing comes through. And it only comes through because I've learned how to silence the inner critic. And I've only learned how to silence the inner critic because I've spent so long coaching people on how to silence the inner critic. Right? And I'm so grateful because for so long, there was a writer in me as a little kid, as a teenager, even into college, and that channel was really pure. It was really open. And something that can happen when you're going for your master's degree is you get so much criticism that at some point you stop trusting your own innate channel. You stop trusting that there is this energy that wants to move through you onto the page. And sometimes I look back to my writings from college and I'm like, What was she listening to? Man, she was tapped in. So there's been this like reclaiming because I've spent so long um, helping people learn how to just say, I'm not going to listen to that part of me that wants to criticize me. I'm going to let this thing move through. Mm -hmm. So it feels like freedom. It feels like dancing. It feels like just getting to be delighted and entertained. And as you and I talked about earlier, nurtured by my own creativity. Yes. And the thing that came to me on the bridge the other day is just like there's an energy that wants to create through you, that same energy wants to live life through you. So you want to get out of the way so this energy can live through you. And often what happens is our agenda, our desire to control, our idea of how things should be, just like how we can do in a script, become roadblocks and obstacles 
for this energy that wants to come onto the page. In the same way, those ideas of our own life can create obstacles from the life that wants to be lived. So if we can learn how to let go of our own personal agenda, uh, our ideas of how things should be, and allow life to delight us, to really get in that receiving mode, and just be delighted left, right, and center, it's already there for us. Natalie and I had this really funny moment today. We went to, we're going to talk about Van Gogh soon. We're going to get, we've seen a lot of great art and we've learned a lot from a lot of the great artists. But before we get serious and talk about artists, I'm going to talk about the most ridiculous thing that happened today, which was, it's so silly, you guys, just be ready. So um, we, we had this transcendent, experience with art and i'm using my gps to navigate us back home and we're walking and natalie goes hey what if we go through this garden and it was really hot out and i was like oh there's no shade in that garden and there's so much exposed sun but it was a new way of going and so i was like sure let's do it now mind you we'd both been looking for a restroom we've both been looking for a toilet of our dreams (laughs) so that we could do what we needed to do <laughs> so in the middle of this magical garden, there's kind of this fancy outhouse type situation. Yeah, it's like a, a European public restroom. So, and it's very. Um, <laughs> we, we should say that there's a lot of technology involved yes. and a lot of languages that we can't read. <laughs> so Buttons, you lights. You walk up to it and you press the green button, and the door opens. And there's one uh, toilet inside, but, you know, you're with your best friend. It's like, let's both go in there. As we're both going in, Kristen looks at me and says, all the people in the park think we're going in there to have sex. I'm like, well, let them. (laughs) So then we find the button that makes the door close. And there's a French woman's voice speaking to us. We have no idea what's happening. It's like we're going to blast off to the moon. There's so many lights. (laughs) There's so many buttons. And now she's, yeah, she's speaking to us in a language we don't understand. So there's this kind of like red thing that looks like if you pull it a certain way, it will lock the door. Oh, we cannot figure it out. We can't figure out how to lock the door. And mind you, Natalie has gotten locked in a lot of Parisian bathrooms. So she prefers Parisian bathrooms. I just for knowing I went through a phase in my life. Now uh, we can talk about the energetic point in my life when I was going through this, I was in a specific point in my life where I was feeling very trapped in a certain situation. And during this time, I got locked in three different bathrooms in three different countries. One of the bathrooms I got locked in was Greece. We were on the island of Mykonos. And it was 110. Oh, it was so and hot. I was stuck in this bathroom with this Greek woman being like, it's fine. We'll figure it out. And I'm like, figure it out now. <laughs> it is hot in here and I am not happy. So I've been locked in so many bathrooms that when we couldn't figure out how to lock the door and Kristen was kind of yanking on it. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I do not want to get locked in this weird orb. <laughs> so we'll just not lock it. I'll hold down the fort while you do your thing. And then we'll switch. So, mind you, I feel like I I set this awry. So I go first, then Natalie's doing her business, and I'm looking at this lock thinking, well, there has to be a way to lock it. Maybe I just need to, like, 
hit this button over here. I just got curious, right? <laughs> As I do. Now, Natalie, it's a public toilet, so we both were using our squat power to, like, squat over the toilet. As I do, suddenly, the door starts to, you guys, fly open while Natalie is still above the toilet. So then I use all of my body weight to try to keep this mechanical door. But it's, like, slightly open. Kristen's using all of her body weight to try to push it closed, but it's pushing against her. I'm trying to pee as quickly as possible. There are people walking by. There are so many people in this park. And I'm like, I, I, I finally get it closed, but I realize it's still trying to open. So it's like... It's like at being at the gym when all the weight is trying to come towards you and you're pushing all the weight in the other direction. And we're laughing so hard we can't stand it. Like, you think we're laughing right now. We were laughing so hard. We, like, eventually end up tumbling out of that bathroom. No one was exposed. We also... We could The voice was yelling at us in oh, French. Oh, yes. The butt, like, like the alarms were sounding. Lights. We couldn't figure it out. So we're trying to flush the toilet and the voice is yelling at us and we have no idea what's going on so we had to like abort mission and just run we ran (laughs) we ran from this public restroom like we were girls in trouble but here was the delight here was the delight and are you ready for this here's a spiritual message there are so many wonderful funny things so many delightful things that you cannot plan there is no way in life I could have woke up this morning and saying, <laughs> you know what is going to be hilarious? You know what's going to be the most fun of my day is when I'm in the bathroom with Natalie trying to keep her from being exposed naked to the public. Like, there, there's, there's nothing in me that could have planned that. That was life delighting us. And what Natalie and I talk about constantly is... Just like in creativity, the best moments are when you can't plan them. That's right. Just like in your relationship, the best moments are the ones you don't plan. Everything, so it's almost like life has an idea for you. Life has something it wants to give you. Life has a way it wants to delight you and make you laugh and make you delighted. Are you going to be open and ready to receive it? Now, had we had an idea of what it needs to look like, we might have controlled our way out of that wonderful, fun experience. Right. And so there's something interesting about life has a product or an experience, something to offer us. And we almost don't the position of audience member where we get to just watch the show and Mm -hmm. be part of the show. It's like interactive theater Mm -hmm. where we get to engage with this thing and find it delightful or find it triggering or find it whatever. But there's this ability to show up in spontaneity that changes our relationship to it. Now, in the same way, when we take on the position of being the creative force, we will often want to create our art, create our music, create our screenplay, create our characters, create whatever it is that we're working on. And we want to create it from the place of, is the audience going to like it? Mm -hmm. Is the audience going to enjoy it? But think about how often the universe is delivering gold to us and we don't like it. We miss it. We don't notice it. And so the universe just goes, okay, I'll create something else. Okay, new experience. Okay, new moment. And there's no attachment to our response to it. But when we take on the position of being the one in the creative driving seat, 
we often then also want to demand validate my worthiness by liking what I've created. Oh. Validate uh, me by liking what I've created. Give me feedback about what I've created. And so that ties us to, we've, we've seen over the last two days, we've gone to two different museums and we've seen these three different specific artists that all spoke to us in a very different way. But all of them had a common thread, which was none of them were creating with the audience in mind. None of them were creating something to be liked, to be validated, to be witnessed, or to feel worthy for what they were creating. They were all creating from their own spontaneity, their own leading edge of growth, their own curiosity. And as a result, we as the audience get to have the spontaneous experience of discovering them in their process And that's what turns us on, and that's what makes the art great. It's like that. I was listening to this Elizabeth Gilbert lecture this morning, and she talked about that old story of art as suffering. She's like, it's so antiquated. It's male, this idea you have to suffer for your art. Actually, art is deeply nurturing. It's here to make our lives better. It's like this wonderful beautiful process of love that we get to have with the source of all life, right? And in the same way, our lives themselves are this beautiful, wonderful gift we get to experience with the source of all life. Now, in order to really receive the gift, you have to not judge it. So you have to not judge the art as it's coming through you, but take it as the wonderful, beautiful experience that it is. And the same thing with life itself. You have to not judge the process as it's occurring. So as we see these three artists, um, should we go in order? I would love to. So we start with, we walked into the Pompidou Center in uh, Paris and we walk into, it's kind of like a big epic structure and there's several galleries. And we just, I felt like I was in the Jetsons. Right? Right. It's we, such a weird structure. It's a weird structure. We wandered into this exhibit, which was Bernard Fritz. And his exhibit is called Without Remorse. Now, as we're going and looking at all of his paintings, it's very structured. Mm-hmm. It's very specific. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of straight lines. There is a lot of linear nature, almost a mathematical. But if if you're looking at his pictures, you're like, wow, there's something really going on here. And then you read what the artist says about this piece, and he's like, it's meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. I, I make things for no meaning. There's no feeling in it. There's no emotion in it. And I specifically make art that has... Nothing of my own personal expression in it. But what he's such a curmudgeon. Oh my gosh, Natalie and I were so in love with him reading his little <laughs> quotes. He was so cute in his, it doesn't mean anything, it's not important, who cares? We just wanted to hug him. Because you look at these paintings and all of a sudden you're filled with emotion. Yeah. You're filled with like a sensory experience. It's like you can't separate an artist from their feelings, it gets right through. But what was so adorable about him was it was almost like a protective shield he had to say, you can't judge me because I'm not trying to do anything here. Right. But there was this really, the thing that I valued about what he was doing is he was saying out loud, I'm not making this for you. Mm -hmm. I'm not making this for anything. 
I felt like making this thing. And it means nothing other than that. Yes. So although there was a certain lens of curmudgeon cynicism in him. So cute. It was actually profoundly truthful. Yes. Which is, I made this line because this line wanted to be made. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah, that he made something because he wanted to and that was enough. And that he was getting some sort of pleasure satisfaction out of the creation process so then art really does become play i'm doing this because i want to right and how often we don't give ourselves that permission in life to live life because we want to to do things because we want to as an experiment right that we don't have to like it. We don't have to get it. We don't have to value it. He's actually saying, oh, trust me, there's no value in it. Yeah. So don't try to seek value. I'm just making something because there's something inside that says make this. Can you imagine if you did that with your own life? Mm. Hey, you don't have to like me. You don't have to think what I do is good. I'm just doing this. I don't even care if my life has value. I'm just doing it because this is the thing I want to do. Right. This is just the thing that I'm drawn to. Yeah. This is just, I I like the blue cup instead of the red cup. Okay. It doesn't mean anything. That's just where I'm going. I don't need even your opinion about it. So there was something so profound in his expression allowed us as an audience to feel so much because we didn't have to caretake mm-hmm. what he wanted us to feel. Right. So there was freedom. There was this liberation because he already stripped the meaning away. Mm-hmm. So then we were able to have our own experience with the piece. And there was, you're, you're right, there was absolutely no caretaking mm-hmm. occurring. And that's what made it really exciting. He didn't need anything from us. Mm-hmm. He wasn't even giving this piece to us. He had already given the pieces to himself, and it was done, and it was complete. And as a result, we as the people that got to experience it, got to experience it as if it was the first time it was ever experienced. I would love to learn how to become that as a director. Mm. Like, I'm such a caretaker as a director, like my own codependency that I have in life comes across in my art where I can see that when I'm making anything of wanting to delight the audience. Right. But what could happen? Can you imagine the freedom and the liberation of I'm going to make this because I think this is the thing to make and allowing that to be the thing? Like that, it, there's a certain kind of purity to that yes that's really exciting it's really intoxicating and here's the thing for all of you listening who may be artists or creators mm-hmm. or directors or actors or songwriters or, or script writers i'm sure you're all thinking well yes once you get mm-hmm. to a certain level of mastery once you're scorsese once you're van gogh once you're picasso once you're whatever yeah you get to do that but while you're climbing the ladder you have to play to your audience, right? But what 100% is happening is those people did it outside of the audience first. Mm-hmm. They took a stand for it first, and that's why they are where they are now. So it you can't have a certain journey that ends at an ending that wasn't in, 
in uh, congruence with the journey that you took. I guarantee you, if you look at the artists, the songwriters, the singers, the directors, the movie makers, the people, the artists that you love the most, they were playing the same game the whole time. And at some point, the world awakened to the understanding of them. They didn't need it. Right. And we say that all the time. You have to become it in consciousness first, right? So you have to get brave enough to listen to that thing that really wants to come through you in order to be that individual artist. Because what we all want is someone who's listening to the truth, someone who's listening to an original vision. And whether that is for something they're creating or for their life itself, there is a truth in being who you are and speaking your voice out loud that is what you crave as a human being, is to become your most authentic version of yourself and we all can feel our own bullshit when we're playing by someone else's rules and I I think what we all truly desire is to be able to give ourselves permission to torch that conditioning obligation the duty that keeps us from being the the individual spirit we came here to be and I think the only difference between those that are not playing for the audience Mm -hmm. that are playing for the innate value in the gift of play Mm -hmm. versus the people that are playing for something outside of them is worthiness is that when you know that you as an artist as a creator have worth you don't need anything outside of you to validate you or tell you that that's right so there are days when I'm like feeling good about myself and Kristen says Natalie you look amazing today and it's like yeah, I do. Mm. Right. So I don't need Kristen to tell me that because I already feel it. But on the days when you're not feeling, then when that person says that to you, Oh, relief, relief, relief. But we have to identify the difference between internal knowing and outer relief. We have to be able to identify that an internal knowing is never about relief It is about authentic truth. Mm. And relief is always about a cessation of pain in the short term. Well, and to get to that authentic knowing takes a certain amount of courage to be willing to shut out the world, to go within, to say, what is the truth of my soul? What is the thing that I know about me, that I know that I am here to do, that is not conditional? Can we go to artist number two? Okay, artist number two is one of my favorites, Dora Marr, and it's Dora M-A-A-R. Now, this exhibit that we saw in Paris is called, please forgive my French, Peintier de l'Extreme Limite, which is the painter of extreme limits. Now, Dora was not known as a painter. She was known as a photographer. And what was interesting about going through her exhibit is she started off as this young woman who had a zest for travel. And so as a young woman, she traveled to Barcelona and various places by herself to see the world and started training her eye as a photographer that she wanted to take pictures of what she was seeing and what she was witnessing and what she was experiencing. Now, in her early career, she got hired to do a lot of beauty ads, face cream ads, very commercial 
photography. And can we say what a badass this woman was? Because here she is in a time when women are not in business and she has her own photography studio. Here she is. She's making these big ad campaigns, but her art is about women's beauty. And you start to see her going from doing ads to doing her own individual art, which is commenting on women's beauty. So she had pictures like a woman who had her smiling face and she was taking off that smiling face, mm. right? She had a woman who was naked who's almost like afraid of her own shadow. So yes. she starts, you start to see this feminist who's pushing through the art and it yes. becomes really interesting. And you have to know, so she was born in 1907 <sighs> in Paris. Uh, her French mother ran a fashion boutique and her father was an architect. So she had all of this um, idea of structure, architecture, beauty, fashion inside of her. By 1932, there was the opening of Dormar Studio. So when she's like barely 20, she's a badass businesswoman. Like, and then uh, in 33, a year later, she travels alone to Barcelona and she photographs people. And this is where her art starts changing, where she starts moving away from the commercial. And she starts taking pictures of uh, very poor people, Mm -hmm. people on the street, people with disabilities, uh, people begging, young children in poor neighborhoods. She starts making more comments on what's underneath the beauty, what's underneath the commercialism. Now, in 1936, so when she's just shy of 30 years old, she takes a photograph of Picasso in her studio. And they ended up taking many photographs of each other in her studio. Now, this begins a long on-again, off-again... Love affair. Romance, love affair with Picasso, where their final breakup was in, like, 1946. So this is, like, a 10-year on-again, off-again. It's a huge soulmate relationship. And it says that she... um, was, uh, was the muse for, like, over 60 of his paintings. But... What happened in her relationship with him is she also evolved into also being a painter. And her painting ended up moving very far into surrealism and very far into... So it's like her initial journey was this very conventional beauty. But as she evolved as an artist, her spontaneity continued to take her... Every time you would look at the evolution of her photos, it was almost like every year she was a completely different artist. And if you looked at the stuff she did in 36 to 37, it's totally different. 37 to 38, totally different. And what was amazing is by the end of her life, the kinds of things she was doing. Oh, it was like, it was literally like light blobs on celluloid or where she wouldn't even take photographs anymore she just wanted to be in her dark room processing processing and got really interested almost in like what happens when I'm not even trying right what is this what is happening here through me it's almost that thing that we've been talking about of what does this process want to create on its own and we were talking about when you watch her work and you kind of walk through the whole exhibit, you can see the conversation that is like spirit having through her. Her own individual spirit was on a journey, and she allowed that journey to come through in her work. And that created a can, uh, this, this kind of canon, a, a conversation that was her life journey. 
which ended up being that her exhibit is called The Painter of Extreme Limits because there's no box you can put her art in. There's no that she is this kind of painter. She is this kind of artist because it evolved so much that there was really no way to even identify her. And if we think about the artists and the parents and the people that we look up to and revere, it's someone who's playing their own game. Yes. Outside of the box that we are told to create And that became the really exciting thing about her art is she's not trying to please anyone. She wasn't trying to make anyone like her. She was having a conversation about what do I think is interesting next? Where do I want to go? How do I see life now? What do I want to show is burning on my heart? And you could see that so clearly. And imagine being a woman, a feminist woman in the early 30s, the early 40s, and having success in one realm and saying, yeah, 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 but I'm done with that now. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to be tied to the success of my past because the muse inside of me is moving. And even if I make no money doing it, and even if people don't get it, and even if people don't like it, it's more important for me to be authentic to the spontaneous call of the muse inside of me than to create what even I've created before. Isn't that the bravest thing? Is the to say, thing. is say, I don't need to rest on my past laurels because there's something new pushing me somewhere else. And I'm not trying to win the popularity game. I don't ha- I'm not judging this as successful or a failure. I'm just expressing this thing that is moving through me and allowing it to do its thing. Mm. So that brings us to the third exhibit that we got to see today. And this is a very special exhibit. So specifically, this was focused on the work of Vincent van Gogh. Now, Kristen and I, on a trip to Amsterdam that we traveled together years ago, went in Amsterdam to the Van Gogh Museum. And that was a really profound experience because we got to learn really about his life and his process and the times when he had deep depression and, the, and ultimately, what stuck with me, although, to be honest, I can't remember a lot of the details of what we learned about him, but what really stuck with me was he had a deep calling towards the end of his life, before he took his own life, to, he wanted him and his friends to go to the countryside together to paint. And it was kind of like everyone was too busy or everyone mm-hmm. had other things. And ultimately, it was that lack of community that led him to his own madness. Because there was this sense of, but I don't want to do it in isolation. Mm-hmm. And there was this deep sense in him, as I remember from what we learned in Amsterdam. And then today, what we got to witness was this beautiful installation of his paintings as almost projection multimedia very 4d where the art is moving and the paintings are overlapping on top of each other so it's it's what's beautiful is it's actually what he always wanted which is an artist of now wanting to collaborate with him Mm. and having this communion with what he had created with what someone else's art form is and creating this kind of 4D dimensional, larger than life way of seeing his paintings that really the world's never seen before. So Kristen and I 
saw the, we walked into this exhibit and it's this really like surround sound experience of like all of these projections on these high walls all around you. And we saw this little boy laying with his head on his backpack, laying back with his hands behind his head, like resting on the floor, looking at this art. And then you see all the adults like sitting in chairs and being normal. And we just had the instinct, well, we got to lie on the floor. And so we laid on the floor and we just watched for over an hour. It was like looking up at the stars, except you're looking up at moving Vincent van Gogh paintings that are like hovering above you with the most beautiful music. And it felt like being inside of one of his paintings. It felt like the paintings were moving around and through you. It was a dance. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is when you look at Van Gogh's work, because he was an artist who just kept creating. He was churning out paintings left, right, and center. And what I was sharing with Kristen earlier is, I can't remember exactly the details, but I think there was something like he painted the sunflowers maybe 50 times, maybe 100 times. He just, he went through a phase in his life where he was obsessed with painting sunflowers. Now, the one specific painting of the sunflowers that we all remember is the famous one, Something tells me that wasn't the final one, right? There was something where that particular painting was just one of many that he was churning out because, again, he wasn't trying to create the perfect picture of sunflowers. He wasn't trying to create something that people for years to come would look at and say, wow, what a great artist, what a great painting of sunflowers. He had no interest in the audience. He was in the spontaneity of his own creation, and sometimes he wanted to paint a certain kind of flower, and then he wanted to paint a landscape, and then he wanted to paint a gray, dark building, and then he wanted to paint a face of someone, and then he wanted to paint something else. And he just nurtured himself through his own creative process without needing any validation of it being good or no. And what I thought was so exciting when looking at his brush strokes taking Mm. up so much space is you can feel all this emotion, all this feeling inside the brush strokes. And it was so different than our friend Bernard, who's like, there's no feeling in this brush stroke. I'm just doing it. I'm just doing a thing, right? Um, Is that Vincent was like, there's, you could feel this something moving through me. There's emotion. There's feeling. I don't need to control my own creativity. I'm just doing it. I'm putting it up there. And in the doing of it, you get this very visceral feeling. And and you can feel what he was feeling through these like uncontrolled brushstrokes. And the word surrender kept coming to me. He was so surrendered. He was allowing this thing to move. And I get so curious about our own life process in our art and in our lives themselves. Could we open up further to allow something to move without judging it, without controlling it, without labeling it? Can we go into that spontaneous spark, that impulse, the same thing that says French fries, right? Can we allow that to go, this poem, I want to paint a picture, I want to make a ceramic, I want to have a baby, whatever the thing is, can we allow 
it to come from a place inside that's not about a checklist or to-do list or I think this is what happiness looks like. Mm -hmm. I think there's so many people you and I coach that get to a place in their life that they think they've done the whole to-do list on what they're supposed to have to have happiness. And they're like, wait, I did all the things. I, I went to college. I got the job. I married the person. I had the kids. And I don't feel it right? Because it's like we're working from the outer as opposed to working from the inner. Mm. So it becomes this really exciting conversation about when we can allow that inner movement to take us somewhere. And what was fascinating was last night after the French fries, which also led to fireworks. So we had this total kid-like night. Natalie and I both woke up this morning and we said we were so filled with energy. Yeah. We like couldn't wait to meet the morning. Mm-hmm. And we're like, what is that? Kind of this whole trip. It's, it's been feeling like we've been like catching up a on rest a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, we had this night of French fries, fun, laughter, gelato, watching fireworks. And then we wake up. And we feel this childlike charge of joy that can't wait to see what the next day brings. Because there's there's a spontaneity. You can't wait to see what the next day brings when you realize the day is the one who's bringing it. Mm. Right? It's not you. It's not about how much you make. It's not about how much you output. It's not about what you're doing. It's what you're receiving. It's what you're allowing to have moved through you. Mm. And that's exciting. And whether you are a Bernard, where your process is structured and linear in a certain way, but still allows the spontaneity of the muse to come through even that medium, whether you're a Dora who wants to just observe life and make comment on it in her own way, in her own voice, without worrying about if people are going to like it or not, whether you're a Van Gogh who just has the passion in the strokes of, I don't know where it's going, but I just feel so compelled to do it. We all have a different way of being an artist. Mm. We all have a different way of being a parent. We all have a different way of being a sister, a friend, a lover. We all have a different way of being a human being. And our only job is to let the muse inside of us delight us with her spontaneity, with her charm, with her pleasure, with her desire, so we can know as unique as our fingerprint exactly who we're here to be. Well, I keep thinking that as I walk down the streets of Paris, the ultimate lover is life. Mm. The one who wants to delight me every second of the day is life. And she always has a new thing. She always has a new trick up her sleeve, a new way to seduce me, something I've never seen before. So as long as I'm not attaching to thinking it has to come anywhere but life, then I'm always delighted. Because you can say, it's all meaningless, so I'm just doing what makes me feel good. Or you can say... I just want to go to all the extreme limits and see what's out there for me. Or you can say, like sweet Vincent, I just want to paint a sunflower one more time. And I just want to see what happens. And whatever it is, know that you've been given one canvas. 
and it is your life. And you get to do upon it whatever you want. If only you give yourself permission that your wants are holy and the world needs it. I don't think there's anything else to say. If you want the French fries, go for it. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. We love to feel like we have friends all over the world in you who are committed to doing their dream on the planet. And if you like this podcast and you want to find out more about what we're doing or who we are, our pop-up classes, our online classes, you can check all of that out at thecreateseries.com. And if you want to be part of our Facebook community, you can go to the Create Community page. That's C period R period E period A period T period E period community. And if you loved this podcast, why not share it with a friend?